Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. A conversation on the cross-border economy. Nowadays, we're seeing that impact economically, really benefiting not just Tijuana, but I think all of the region. I'm Jade Hindman. Today, we're bringing you a KPBS Midday Edition special. The Cali Baja region produces an estimated economic output of more than $250 billion a year. Right now, we have probably 2 million square feet of companies that would like to start in Tijuana today. We're leasing buildings off site plans that won't even start construction until 2023. Industries from manufacturing to biotech have generated tens of thousands of jobs, but long border waits impact commuters and international shipping routes. That's ahead on Midday Edition. The economy may not be the first thing that comes to mind when you think of the border region, but the region known as Cali Baja is an economic powerhouse. It produces a gross domestic product of nearly $250 billion, according to a recent report from USD. That's more than 23 U.S. states. And industries in the region, from manufacturing to biotech, generate thousands of jobs on both sides of the border. So today on Midday Edition, we're bringing you a conversation about the cross-border economy with a panel of guests who have spent a lot of time thinking about the topic. They are Paola Avila, now Chief of Staff for Mayor Todd Gloria. She spent 25 years specializing in public policy and government affairs. Ernesto Bravo, West Division President of Tecma, which streamlines the process for foreign or U.S. manufacturing companies to operate in Mexico. Denise Garcia, Chief of Staff for Supervisor Nora Vargas. She's also worked for several local elected leaders in international affairs. Kurt Honnold, Secretary of Economy and Innovation in Baja, California. He was also mayor of Tijuana in 2007. And Joe Smith, Senior Vice President of Caldwell Banker Real Estate, who has specialized in the border region for the last 25 years. And here's KPBS investigative border reporter Gustavo Solis, who moderated the conversation. So I, I want to start the, the conversation with everyone kind of being in the same headspace, right? And, and Ernesto, I think you could help us out with this. We're talking about something that's not always fully understood, the cross-border economy. Can you, you could give us a quick, quick overview of the, the border economy? Like, what was it 20 years ago? What is it now? Where do you see it going? I mean, you, you've been in it for a long time. That whole world of, of the cross-border economy that's been created over the past three decades, really, uh, started out in the 80s. And it started with Mexico creating a program to allow, really, to generate employment and foreign direct investment into Mexico. Uh, that was the original purpose, and, and that continues to be the purpose of, of the Mequiladora 
uh, program. Uh, it's been extremely successful uh, all along the border and especially in Tijuana, which is uh, in the top two cities along the border and in overall in Mexico total uh, in terms of employment and, and foreign direct investment and, and exports, uh, mostly into the US. So it started in the 80s and throughout the 80s we grew um, as more companies realized the value uh, of setting up operations in Tijuana especially. And then in the 90s where it really kind of jump-started was with the passing of NAFTA in 1994. And, um, and then came 2000, the 2000s. Uh, in the 2000, 2001, uh, China joined the WTO. And we saw a significant impact from, uh, in a lot of industries and a lot of sectors within Tijuana and manufacturing uh, that went to Asia, not just China, but, but Asia uh, in general. Um, and that decreased, that along with recessions that, that happened occasionally, and that has always have a big impact on, on manufacturing employment in Mexico. Uh, then came um, the, the 2010s and where we saw just, uh, especially after the, the recession of 08, um, the Great Recession, we saw significant growth to the level where it really has not stopped in the last uh, more than a decade. Today, we stand at over 200,000 manufacturing uh, jobs in Tijuana. And these jobs are not what they used to be in the 80s, where it was mostly just uh, unskilled labor doing very uh, repetitive tasks. Uh, nowadays, the level of manufacturing that we have in Tijuana is world class. The level of talent that we have in Tijuana is world class. And so we're we're, doing, we're talking now about engineering, product development, very advanced software programming, and many, many other activities that, that uh, 30 years ago definitely were not uh, the case. And, and nowadays we're seeing that, that impact uh, economically um, and, and really benefiting not just Tijuana, but I think all of, all of the region. Anyone else want to add? I know, Kurt, I saw you nodding your, your head Colonel, a lot. He said it very, very well. I'm, I want to hire him would... now to work for me. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would just add, you know, that I, I think it's um, a well-kept secret similar to San Diego's diversity of, uh, if, of its economy. We're known in San Diego as a tourism mecca, right? And that's, we're sunshine city. But there's so much more to San Diego than that. And similarly, our cross-border region, it's much more than just manufacturing, even advanced manufacturing, how it, that has shifted. I mean, we have an incredible, um, you know, culinary scene, uh, craft brewer, brewing, you know, arts and culture and, and theater the, um, that's just been uh, exploding and different types of jobs. Um, also, the I think our, our other panelists will speak to this, but the increase of uh, residential development, you know, and, and other um, sporting you know, industry. So it's just, I think it's very diversified and people don't understand how much there is really. And I think it's a really exciting time. Now I've heard, um, I think, Ernesto, you've mentioned it. I, Joe, we've talked about this. It's kind of like the boom times in Tijuana right now in some respects, which must be kind of nice to be where you're at right now to, to see it, to be where we're all at, to see it. And I'll, I'll chime in really quick. And what's really exciting, too, is that we're actually talking about it. A lot of times we talk amongst each other because we're the ones that are the border people, right? I say the border groupies because a lot of us have worked in this in, in very many different um, jobs and capacities. 
but we're actually talking about it. So thank you to KPBS and to you and to Southwestern College for hosting us. But we're actually having a dialogue. And like you said, you don't want to just talk about the violence and the negative aspects. We want to talk about what the benefit and how we actually support each other. And it's not only manufacturing. It's not only tourism, whether it's medical tourism or culinary experiences. It's actually about the relationships and the relationships across the border and how we build that at all different capacities. So yeah, absolutely very exciting to have worked in this for this long and to actually see us be able to talk about it and share it with the entire region and the nation. Well, I, I, I love, like I said earlier, I love the fact that we have a good mix of, of folks who work in and out of government. And I'm curious to, to hear from different members of the board just how, of the panel, sorry, like in your view, like what role does local government play in, in helping and also in hurting the, the cross-border economy? Uh, Joe, we haven't heard from you. I don't know if you want to jump in. Uh, just my perspective is a little bit different because I'm on the, we're on the ground and mm. I don't want to pop anybody's balloon there, but there isn't a lot that local government can or can't do to change what goes on in multinational boardrooms today. But what they, what does affect them and where local governments do directly affect them is infrastructure. Right now, we can't get more buildings in Tijuana. There's not one, 85 million square feet of space in Tijuana, 35 million square feet in Mexicali, 6 million in Tecate. And during the first quarter, not one company moved out, not one. There are zero vacant industrial buildings in Tijuana today. And you go, well, why? Well, the reason why is getting approval for zoning is crazy hard. We're leasing buildings off site plans that won't even start construction until 2023. I mean, so the reality is that where local governments can help is providing the infrastructure necessary, the platform for manufacturers to be able to hook into the sewer, hook into the water and get electrical capacity. Just so I understood, you're having companies interested in buildings that won't be starting to be built until a couple of years from now. It'll year over a year. Wow. Oh, the pipeline right now in Tijuana, the desire is huge. Unfortunately, we have guys like Kurt now who comes from the private sector. He uh, is extremely successful in the private sector. He understands what's needed. So hopefully, with the new administrations and in Tijuana and Mexicali, we'll see a turnaround in terms of investing in infrastructure. In Baja California, the state owns the water, let's say. So what we do is we are looking in areas in, in Baja California where we know we is electricity and also we know it's water. So what we're doing now is uh, directing the, the new investments or the new um, buildings uh, to, to put it there because we know the infrastructure is there. Um, and so we are doing that already, and uh, we're talking to the CFE in order to make sure that when the building is done, they have truly um, uh, they have the the power. Um, and and yes, the the reason we have these problems is because uh, in, in seven million and a half people live in Calibaja, and 2.2 million workers are uh, uh, are related to the Calibaja, both sides of the border. So this Calibaja is being very beneficial for many people. Um, not only that, uh, because of the cost of living in San Diego, 
uh, a lot of people is moving to Baja California and Tijuana, uh, for example, because it's less costive to, to live there. And so we have now the another problem, they say, that we have to build uh, condominiums and houses for, for people that wants to live in, in Baja because it's, it's less costive than, than in San Diego. Doesn't and, that just and, put more stress? Sorry to interrupt. Sorry. But, sorry to interrupt, but th doesn't that just put more stress on the limited infrastructure? That's something that we're working and something that we have to be very innovative. And being innovative is looking ways uh, to cross, make the crossing faster. Uh, because th th these people they want to live in, in, in Baja California, they want to just keep working in, in San Diego. So we need to find ways more innovative to cross the border easier and faster. We understand that the we need to comply with the, with the uh, um, security in the border. We understand that. But if we find you know, innovative ways to cross the border, we'll make it easier for people to cross the border easier. Perfect. And it's a lot of families only because that's what you say. It's not only people that go and do business or tourism. It's families in both sides of the border that they, they are related and they cross to visit each other. So we need to, to make uh, better ways to cross, not two or three hours. That's, that's not good. Perfect. Hold that thought. I want to go back to, okay. to some of those things. But Paula, you wanted to add something? Yeah, I just, you know, part of the interesting point I think to make is, um, as was mentioned, in the pandemic actually spurred a growth in Tijuana. You saw a, a growth in maquiladoras and um, business growth, more moving there. And the reason for that, one of the reasons I think, is because we saw the, you know, supply chain completely disrupted with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And nearshoring was already starting to mm -hmm. happen. The pandemic helped to accelerate that, and you had to find innovative ways to, you know, produce get a product to the consumer, and and companies saw that opportunity in Tijuana because then you it, it really cut down and and circumvented a lot of that issue. Um, but also just to you know respond to your question about local government, I think there's a lot that local government can do, and that we are doing. We're the the my my boss, the mayor's the. Um, mayor of the largest border city in, in the U.S.-Mexico border. And his position to advocate for the cross-border economy and the region is tremendous because we're very far away from D.C., where decisions are being made at the federal level that impact the, the region. Likewise, for Tijuana, very far away from Mexico City, its capital. For two cities that are that, like, geographically separated from the decision-makers, you need to rely on local government to advocate for you and push policies that help support the growth, smart growth of the region. And uh, that's why my, my boss um, uh, is vice chair of the Pol Border Policy Committee at U.S. Conference of Mayors. Um, he goes to Washington, D.C. very often to advocate for the region. Um, and has positioned himself in that regard because he believes in this in this region. And it's, that's what we have to do. We have to um, do that. And I know our um, same goes for the supervisor and Kurt at that level for the um, for his involvement in the in the state of, of Baja to advocate similarly in Mexico City. Yeah, as you said, my boss is the vice chair of the County Board of Supervisors. And for the first time in the county's history, you do have a binational woman sitting on the board. So again, going back to elevating the discussion, right, and uh, building those relationships. 
the county board now, her as the vice chair, has relationships with the governor, they call each other, um, with the, the mayor of Tijuana, and also building on that, right? Talking about what we did in the pandemic, we were able to bring vaccines to students in Baja, in Tijuana, that wouldn't happen without the actual relationships that we had, without the Mexican consulate and the relationship that we have here in San Diego, and with the drive and the leadership of local leaders, elected officials here in San Diego. So there's definitely a lot. There's economic development, there's business, there's manufacturing, but again, bringing in the ties and how does government work on that? It's because you have to have the leadership, the drive and the desire, and know how both governments work as well. And so um, not only were we able to do that, we were able to also vaccinate maquiladora workers at the port of entry. And again, it's a federal property that we were able to bring UCSD to come vaccinate maquiladora workers in Otay Mesa to be able to grow the vaccines. And again, that was local, even though working with federal government, it was local leadership. So I think that's really important to make sure that we say. You're listening to a KPBS Midday Edition special on the Cali Baja economy. I'm Jade Hindman. KPBS border reporter Gustavo Solis is joined in this discussion by Paola Abvila, Chief of Staff for Mayor Todd Gloria, Ernesto Bravo, West Division President of TECMA, Denise Garcia, Chief of Staff for Supervisor Nora Vargas, Kurt Honold, Secretary of Economy and Innovation for Baja California, and Joe Smith, Senior Vice President of Caldwell Banker Real Estate. In this part of the discussion, panelist Joe Smith discusses why so many businesses are flocking to Tijuana and why major infrastructure issues are stifling further growth. When we are with the the multinationals, the guys from not only U.S., but Europe, Asia, and many of them have operations here and are expanding those, and the typical expansion is from the existing operation. It isn't typically from a new one. And after you tour them, you spend the day with them and you're drinking beers with them, they explain, you know, the, the official stuff goes away and they explain why they're here. And it isn't just near shoring. It isn't just having their goods on a boat for two or three weeks crossing and then another two weeks at Long Beach. What it is is following the last election, you know, following about two years ago, Uh, boardrooms started to worry about uh, mainland China doing something that they would consider stupid regarding Taiwan. This is before Russia, Ukraine. And that that their boardrooms, there are worries that if they don't reduce their China China footprint, they could be stuck in the same situation as a lot of companies right now who are boycotting uh, Russia. And then the other segment that Ernesto mentioned is, I'm not in politics, but when you talk to people that are new moving in, many of them are from California. And California, rightly or wrongly, is perceived as non-business friendly. And when you compare wage rates of the two countries and California having that, how do we call it, persona, rightly or wrongly, that's where we see most of the new entrants. Um, But the most of the people are, and then in terms of Cali Baja, Kurt brought it up, it's extremely important. For years, Cali Baja didn't mean a lot of expansion on this side. Companies would go on the other side and money flowed, people flowed, but not so much industrial expansion. Right now, because there's no space in Tijuana, 
um, what companies are doing, they're expanding their footprint in their existing building and moving the warehousing portion, which is raw materials and finished goods, to this side. So right now we're working with about 750,000 square feet of users who are looking in the Otay Mesa side for their raw materials and their finished goods, which typically they have held in on the Mexico side. So Kurt's right. I mean, Cali Baja, but Cali Baja is growing more now than it has in the past. It's, you can see it on the ground. Um, well, Denise or, or Paola, how, how do local governments counteract or fight back against that, that perception or reality that California is not good for business? I think it's a combination of all, right? Policies, marketing, outreach, being visible and speaking out, um, advocating for border infrastructure to also make the cross-border flow um, go faster. There's the Otamisa East that is um, right now in, in the stage of development, right? And it's going to help trucks cross the border quicker, relieve San Ysidro from all the congestion, and also help the businesses that Joe just talked about that are growing have their manufacturing, their plants in East Otaimisa and then their sister um, company in, in Tijuana. So definitely advocating for that, making sure that we're visible, making sure that we talk to the companies and that we are there on the ground talking to them about what they need. East Otaimisa's county, so making sure that we're reaching out and saying, how can we help support you? I think definitely that's one way for, or a couple ways help government. Can help. I agree with Denise. My former role was in the private sector. I worked for a large uh, business organization and we heard from companies. Part of their decision making is whether to expand or relocate is how much support is there from government for um, the business community. And so the more we advocate mm -hmm. and are vocal and um, are there as uh, proponents, they will then feel more confident in investing. Like, okay, this border region is one that is of interest because of the high level of collaboration. And I see they're signing MOUs and um, they're, you know, very prominent and um, and vocal, as Denise said. And utilizing your chambers. When Paola was in a large business organization and I was in government at the city level, we would take delegations to our nation's capitals on both sides, right? And making sure we were talking not only to local officials, but also to federal officials about the importance and the need to be a business-friendly country on both sides. Gustavo, I just want to say something because yeah, sure. it, sometimes it sounds like uh, we don't have a... Uh, we have a big problem and we don't have the infrastructure. Uh, yes, it's a good problem to have. It's better not to have a problem. Mm -hmm. But we are working um, on uh, having the, the enough electricity and, and, and working with the water. Uh, so Baja California will have no problems in the future. By 2024, uh, the Otay 2 is going to be open. Mm -hmm. By 2024, we're going to have enough electricity to, so, you know, it, it will continue to grow, but it's going uh, to, two plants being built, Ciclo uh, Combinado and one, uh, solar in, in, in Puerto Peñasco. So that is going to help us a lot. I want to say something. And the, the world, like you say, is changing. And, uh, and, what it, and what we're doing in the, in the government, and that's what the, our governor told us, is let's see what's going on in the world and what's, why is Baja growing so much. One is near shoring. The other one is what he said, uh, China, and they want to move uh, most, most of the goods here, but it's near shoring. Is the, and the other one, and that the we are focusing is in technology. Technology is the future. And, um, and we are uh, working uh, with all the biotech companies and also everything related with medicine. Uh, I don't say in, uh, producing uh, medicine, everything related with the medicine, devices and everything, uh, to bring them to, to Baja. 
San Diego is probably is not the not number one, is the number two in the in, in United States in biotech. And uh, so we are working with them in order to bring biotech to Baja. We are working with, I don't know if you knew, but uh, and only in San Diego and, and Baja, they are graduating 34% of the students and 18 in, in Baja are graduating every year. And uh, so there's a lot of people that are, are going out. So we need to, to have these kids, they, 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 the, the schools, I'm sorry, they need to teach them uh, what we need. Uh, what we need is uh, biotechnology, the software engineer, and, 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 and instead of having now uh, big plants, we're looking at buildings going up because these people that are wants to, uh, the, the, new, the new companies, they need uh, technical and engineers. So we, that's what we are focusing now. And those are the business that we, we want to bring to Tijuana. So we need to forecast the future. Let's say what is what is coming. And that's what we're doing now in Baja. So, and, and that's Cali Baja because uh, if we don't do it together and then it's not going to work. The formula is really working. And, and because Denise and Paola, we, we right now have bosses in the politics. My I have the governor, major, and the supervisor. But we've been working uh, with Cali Baja for many years. So the stars are aligned. And because they're aligned is that we understand what we need to do. And, 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 in, and we are the soldiers who are making things happen. Uh, and, and, our, and our bosses understand uh, what we need to do. So I just wanted to say that uh, we, we have problems, yes, but uh, it's nothing mm -hmm. that is going to stop uh, uh, our growth in Bacalibaja. Perfect. I, I, I want to shift the conversation a little bit to like, how, how people can just be more active in, in the cross-border economy, right? There, there are some barriers we haven't talked about, like cultural language barriers. And, and Joe, I'm kind of curious to hear from you just because I've... I'm assuming you you may have stood out when you were in TJ and starting out uh, working there. Yeah. Well, well, I'm, tell us look, like if you. I'm an absolute gringo, and I wear that with pride. And I think one of the things um, I was introduced to Mexico when I was in high school. You know, at Saints. You know, because there was a big contingency of guys there from Tijuana. And then when I got out of the Air Force, my first job was selling Pampers in South County, and my biggest accounts were Dorian's and Tienda Sascarin. So I was introduced, and then the Japanese adopted me for doing deals, and they sent me to Tijuana. The big thing is that the typical gringo, you know, because we're proud to be just regular guys, is, is not to be like a typical guy from the U.S. that knows everything, that's pushy, that goes in and tells people how they have to do business, that we understand that we're a guest in Mexico and we're fortunate guests, but we have to adapt to the Mexican way of doing business, which is not the same. The concepts are different. Um, the more that you can be involved on a day-to-day -day basis, like my son is fluent in Spanish um, and he was raised more Mexican than U.S. He grew up around all Mexican kids. So it's very important that we not get focused just on the business side of it, that we be on the social side. And it's important for us to understand that we're guests, understand the culture, understand how business is done, and open your mind and open your eyes. And it, there is, if you act correctly, there is nobody that won't welcome you in business in Mexico. It's just a different way, but you have to understand you can't go down and tell them 
how they should be running their operation. You know, at the same time, we can be honest and exchange ideas. But I've been adopted, uh, you know, by so many close Mexican friends. I have many more Mexican friends than U.S. friends. And it's not purposeful. It's just how we live. And you know our background. And the start was St. Augustine. You know, mm -hmm. the, the guys from there, <laughs> we hung with them. And you get, you, you get, I think you went to Saints, and I think you might have gone there. My son. You, yeah, there you <laughs> <My> go. <son. laughs> it's, I mean, and all the great people, Roger Hedgecock, Walter Martinez, all great people. But long story short is we need to open our minds, open our eyes, and open our hearts to the, you know, to, to our friends. And we're guests in their country. You're listening to a KPBS Midday Edition special on the Cali Baja economy. I'm Jade Hindman. In this part of the discussion, panelist Kurt Honnold talks about the persistent issue of long wait times at the border and some of the more innovative solutions being proposed to combat the issue. It is a problem. And Denise, Paola, and myself, mm -hmm. uh, we've been... Um, you two are next, by the way. In, in some way, <laughs> we've been uh, together in this, uh, trying to make both governments to understand we are so far from Washington and Mexico City that they need to put attention to the border. And, and we understand, again, security. But the people in blue uniform, they need more people uh, to work because they cannot open all the, the gates. They cannot open all the gates because they have now uh, some in the front uh, checking that the, the people are have their documents because it's a lot of Russians trying to uh, cross the border uh, without documents and they have to take care of them uh, before, uh, you know, in the United States. And they say, no, 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 no. If you're not, uh, uh, you don't have legal documents, you have to get back. Uh, so that's the reason the lines are right now uh, longer. OTA 2 is going to solve the problem, like Danny say, but we need to find ways, different ways to make easier uh, for people to cross the border. Uh, CBX, I, I think nobody believe or for, uh, knew how big this spread was. We thought it was going to be good, but not as good as it is. And what it tells us is a lot of people crossing the border uh, and, and, and both sides, uh, both sides, you know, going south or going north, and, and also San Isidro and Otay. And the reason is because this uh, Calibaja is a lot of not only business, but also is pe people that, that go, go for tourism both sides of the border and families. 32% of the people, economic active people in, in Tijuana, live in Tijuana and work in San Diego. 32%. So that's a lot of people that needs to cross the border every day to work. Some of them make two hours or three hours daily. And going back, because they finish working three, four or five, that's when the lines are going, going south are long too. So imagine losing five hours. That's, that's not good. That's not human. So if we understand that it's going to be no more border, border crossings uh, uh, for the Tijuana, let's say only Tijuana and Tecate, and then we need to uh, um, find ways more innovative in order to cross. One of them is the CVX trolley. So when, I'm, when we say CVX trolley is a bridge, the same, a bridge that for people that wants to use the trolley to, to cross the border and go to work. So those people will make, uh, uh, the people that are using the trolley will make the line. So we reduce people from the San Isidro line. The other one is the, the bike, bike routes. 
the uh, major um, uh, Gloria, he's already uh, very close to finish with Santac, the, the, the Ciclovia, and also in our side. And, and the same company that rents bicycles in the United States, the same company is going to rent the bicycles in Tijuana. So you can rent a bicycle in Tijuana, cross to go to work, leave it, and then rent it again to get back. So it will be easier to also to cross and, and, and also you make exercise. And the other one is the, the, the ferries. And uh, we want to start with Ensenada to the port of San Diego. But, but in the future, we want to, and we already have the permit for the API in Rosarito to make another ferry from Rosarito to, to San Diego. So that, those are innovative ways to have people crossing the border uh, other than cars. But if we reduce people from using cars, also is going to help us. So that's why we need the trolley, we need bikes, we need ferries, uh, we need to find way, trains, we need to find ways to make easier to people to cross the border and to move in Tijuana and also in San Diego instead of cars. Well, but how, how realistic are there? I mean, do you have like timetables of when that could potentially happen? We, like, we are we... making um, a factibility study for the trolley and for the ferries. And, um, and the company that's doing the study is the same company that did Otay 2. By the end of this month, uh, which, uh, no, I'm sorry, July, by the end of July, uh, we will have the, the study done. And then when it's done, and then we will uh, share it with the U.S. side uh, so we can start. We are already working parallel, but now officially start working and making the, pro the projects work. And with the Otai 2 or, or Otai East, I mean, would we get stuck in the same situation as San Isidro? Like, we're getting a bunch of new lanes, but what good are new lanes if half of them are closed? Yeah. Okay, like, let me can, tell you, and, you and I, I'm lanes, sorry that but... I'm thinking the, the word, but uh, something that I want to say. Um, in the US side, the Caltrans and Sandak did their job. They already have the highway all the way to uh, where the Otai 2 is going to be. In our side, we, have, we didn't have nothing. Finally, because of the gov our governor uh, uh, started um, uh, being the leader of the project, now we already bought the, the right of land uh, for the highway, the same as Sandak did, and uh, it's already purchased. Um, now we're going to start moving the towers of the CFA. The uh, Semper is going to move their pipe, and also uh, the water that connects with uh, San Diego. The, we, ha we have a, a water that, that connects both, both countries. Those are going to start moving uh, very soon. So with that in mind, and also where the, the facilities will be, is, is in the process of purchasing all the land. But with that, um, we are going to be complying with the 2024 uh, date to open the Otay 2. So that's, going, that's something that's going to happen. Like what's Sandag's view on it? Because I know like so every year there's like, you have great data and great studies on it. Like how... how there was something like extra 15 minutes of wait time at X amount of billions of dollars in economic losses. I mean, what, what's the, how does Sandag approach a problem that is mostly at the hands of the federal government? 200 million per day is the economy between the two, the Caliba, per day, 200 million. And that's only the economy of the goods and everything that's being produced. But add the people that goes and buys uh, uh, from Tijuana that goes and buys uh, to, to San Diego or people from San Diego that goes and buys to Baja California. So add that. And then tourism. People that come from all over the world, they come to San Diego, they went, oh, Mexico is right there. We wanna, it's another country that I can visit or the other way around. So it's, it's the economy in between, and, and that's why it's the, 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 the border crossing is the, 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 the most use in the world is because of that. 
So if, if government, the Washington and Mexico City, but especially Washington needs to understand how the, the big economy that, that we have here in order to bring, to have more people because they need more people in the border. And uh, I, I'm talking about the blue uniform uh, and customs protection. They need to have more people. So there's more lines open because they have the facilities. They put a lot of money in San Isidro, a lot of money. And, and, and they have a lot of gates. So if they open all, the line will be very short. And we haven't talked too much about just that balance of security and economy, right? Um, there's this rhetoric outside of San Diego where there's there's kind of a crisis at the border and there's open borders and people who don't live in the border think of the border only in terms of security. Um, and that kind of sucks up a lot of the oxygen and conversations we're having, but how, how do you, I don't know, how do you balance the security, the, the, the legitimate security concerns associated with the border with the opening up and, and helping the economy kind of prosper and grow? I mean, I would say that an efficient border is a secure border. It's one and the same. The more efficient you are, the more you use technology, the cross-border collaboration, information sharing across law enforcement agencies across the border, that is how you, you know, pinpoint and, and really um, ensure security. And having, you know, a five-hour wait time is not going to help improve security. You want to move the 95% of secured trade and, and travel through the port of entry, so then they can focus on that, you know, five ten percent that is illegitimate, uh, and I think that's through efficiency and technology. And what about the the security, or really like the 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 safety perceived or real threat in terms of businesses being established in in the region? Ernesto, I'm sure you get a lot of questions like, is it safe to move my operations there? And Joe, you you probably get them too. Like, how how do you address those questions, and how hmm. big or little of a concern is it? Yeah, the, the, that's a great question. And, and the security aspect that the biggest concern security wise that we have in manufacturing uh, factories in, in Tijuana is really just contraband. Um, there's not a lot of, fortunately, we, we're, and this has been proven out for the past 30 years, we don't have a, a major threat in terms of physical security or, 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 or that type of thing. The main threat is really contraband. And actually, I have to recognize one of the programs that has been established. It started with the US CBP uh, and, and Mexico has also adopted a very similar program. It's called CTPAT uh, and OEA in, in Mexico. And it's, it's a program that establishes, uh, there's literally like 28 different characteristics or, or security uh, and supply chain security factors that you have to take into consideration and apply in your factory to be able to get the certification. And what it is, is it's basically like a sentry for commerce. So you get access to a special lane, a privileged lane that's a shorter wait time uh, that has a lot of benefits, um, obviously. And you're able to also ensure the U.S. government and CBP that your cargo is going to be significantly safer than somebody who's not CTPAT certified because you've got to have additional um, you know, video security and, and just a lot of record keeping uh, that is actually and, and checkpoints within the factory to make sure that what is leaving that factory goes straight to the border and gets across and there's no manipulation of the cargo in any way. So it's been a very successful program. We have uh, probably at least 10 client factories in Tijuana today and several other, another 10 or 20 in Juarez as well um, that are taking advantage of that program. And it's, it's been a huge success. And the OEA um, counterpart, the Mexican counterpart has also been 
very successful to expand that and to encourage that that level of, of trade. So. Um, my perception is a tad different, okay? Because we're on the road, we're there, and um, there are areas in Tijuana where we won't go after dark. I mean, I'll send my son. He's lived a good life. He's 34. <laughs> He's done everything he needs to do. But no, all kidding aside, there are areas in Tijuana where we will not go after dark. If you take a look at what's happened in the Bajio, when the Bajio initially started to expand, there were where the major auto manufacturers went, you know, the Nissan, GM, you know, they, they located there. We took 15 different Japanese companies that are in Tijuana into the Bajio to open manufacturing operations for uh, auto, auto supply, which is not a big one in Tijuana. And right now, the Bajio is a very dangerous place. It, it's, it's a reality. But what you need to do is you need to use your head. You, it's just like areas in, in San Diego, I won't go at night. Mm -hmm. You know, There's areas in Chicago, I won't go at night, or New York, I won't go at night. So you just need to use your head. And there are, it's just something to keep in mind. We always are watching where we stop and what we do. And that's just what you do when you're in Mexico. But you do the same thing on this side. You know, it just gets a much bigger ride up there. But to pretend like there's no, like there's no issue is uh, not uh, realistic, you know, not realistic. Um, but in general terms, what Ernesto is saying about contraband is, is true. But we need to use our head, same as we do in big cities in the U.S. side. Do we know, like we've talked about it being boom times right now, which is kind of odd to think about because we've just been through a pandemic, which kind of hurt <laughs> the economy. So like, what was the, the impact or what has been the impact of the pandemic on cross-border? Um, it sounds like from the outside looking in, it sounds like it kind of helped a little bit in terms of bringing some of the pre-existing supply chain issues to the forefront, kind of speeding up some of that departure from China and, and Asia. But but like, where, where, where are we? Like, what was the impact? How badly did it hurt, if at all, the, the cross-border economy and how is it bouncing back? That's a great question. I, I would say, if I may, there, there's two things that immediately happened that we're still living with that impact. Number one, Obviously, the, the, the initially back in 2020, and this was around March timeframe when we kind of realized the, the, the scope and the, the, the level of what we were facing, um, obviously the first interest was just safety and health and, and making sure that we have the proper protocols in place and making sure that we, we attend to, we focus on, on safety and the health of, of the staff in the factories. And that was actually very successful, I think. Um, I hope everyone here would agree. I think in the factories in Tijuana, um, for a lot of cases, in, in terms of the level of care people would receive from the medical services that usually factories have, uh, and from the level of education that people received, and personal protective equipment as well, um, I think that the factories in many cases, and for many people, were, were the safest places that they could possibly be yes. uh, because of the level of protocols that were implemented uh, early on. And we still continue to see that today, um, very strict adherence to those protocols um, and, and, to, and the evolution as we've seen the pandemic uh, evolve and, and we've been reacting to that. So number one, that was a, an important aspect of it. I think, we, I think we took that very seriously and it was very successful. And also I think that led to a lot of collaboration across the border uh, and also between government and the public sector, uh, government and the private sector. 
uh, in Tijuana specifically. So that was one aspect. The second aspect, and I think it's related to part of the things we've talked about today in terms of the lack of, of available space, but immediately uh, the developers, uh, the people that build the buildings uh, and finance the buildings uh, in Tijuana for uh, factories to be set up in, uh, immediately froze. Um, and that was actually the second time in probably about five years that it immediately for in three or three or four years that it, that it, that all construction stopped. People interested in coming to Tijuana didn't stop in the companies, uh, but construction stopped, and that was because of the level of risk. And this happened again, in, or, or it happened once in 2017 as well, when the the topic of canceling NAFTA uh, was out there and hit the media, and, and everyone was talking about it. Construction stopped back then as well, and so unfortunately, it took six months or a year for that construction to ramp back up again. And we saw that in 17, we saw that in 2020 again. And that is, I think, one of the factors that, that has led to the, the, the scarcity of space that we have today uh, that we're still dealing, dealing with and that hopefully, however, uh, on a positive side, we're seeing that innovation uh, in Tijuana. Developers are now building their own power stations to be able to supply power to, uh, to the industry. Um, and we're seeing that level of innovation because everyone recognizes, I think, not on, not on this panel, certainly, and I think with, with your efforts to, to, to communicate to, to everyone here in, in the region, uh, we have a, an incredible opportunity uh, for growth. And this growth, I think, can go on for five, ten years, if not longer, recession or no recession, whatever happens in the near term. In the long term, we have years and years of opportunity that will benefit the quality of life for people on both sides of the border. And it's just a, a humongous, and we're excited to be a part of this and, and, and thankful, I think. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.